If you would, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Cue the piano music. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so you see the questions are up, are on the, up on the screen for your help as we go through and, and as we respond together in the, uh, the Word together. So go ahead and take note of those as um, Elder Kenny is going to be leading us in our response time this morning. And the more that you pay attention to these questions, the more help you will be to him and as, I think as well as encouraging to, to others as, as well. Um, so we're, we're glad to, to gather this morning and start a new study this morning. Right? So, so far we have been through Ephesians. We've had, uh, we have been through uh, Hosea. We've had a series on prayer. We have a, we've had a, a sermon series on the church and uh, a, a, a biblical leadership and uh, in, in elders. We've had uh, several sermon series now. We are, we are putting a lot of, of, of good texts and sermons under our belt from, from the Word of God. So we're very thankful for each Sunday that we get to gather together and, and unpack one more passage together. All right, so have you ever been on a journey uh, or a, a trip, right, a vacation, where um, your destination, wherever you're going to end up, was not necessarily the goal in mind? So you guys had several goals on your last trip. I mean, it's like a whirlwind, right? Um, and, and have you ever been on a journey where the destination wasn't necessarily the goal in mind, right? Where the, where the actual journey, the process of getting there, was the actual trip itself, was actual the, the trip itself. So you may do a lot of driving, you may do a lot of hiking, ride trains. Did you guys ride trains? Awesome. What an experience that is. I mean, we never get to ride trains, right? Oh, I bet, I bet. Crazy, never can't read anything, no idea where you're going. Awesome, what an adventure. But you made it back, praise God, right? Somehow you made it back, right? Um, yeah, so the, the journey is the actual trip, right? So, so you, get to, you get to kind of slow down, you get to roll the windows down, you get to look out the windows and just see a, a, a whole new area and just kind of take in, take in the sights. A few years ago, my family and I, actually when we only had two, uh, two children, we, we made a trip up the Blue Ridge Parkway. We, we drove the whole parkway, uh, 400 and something miles, and, and then we did the Skyline Drive. And, and the driving itself, the billion hours we spent in the car, was the trip. And, and we, would not, we wouldn't give back another minute of that. It was so great. It was so awesome. The kids were great. It was such a great thing to do. And this is the kind of trips that we are, we are really starting to, to love and get to, get to do. Well, that's going to be kind of like our journey through the gospel of Gospel of Luke, is, is that it's not the destination, which will be the end, right? The, the journey itself through, through the gospel is going to be our, uh, is the goal in mind. It, it, every week is our destination exactly where we are supposed to be. Every week is the destination where we will have new sights and new smells and new territory and, 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 and new scenery that we get to meet, new people we get to meet every single week as we walk through the Gospel of Luke. So, so we don't want to rush to get to the end. We don't want to get to that end of the destination, but the journey itself is our 
destination. And that is my very creative, illustrative way to kind of say, we're going to be in Luke for a while. <laughs> and I think it would be worthwhile for us to spend um, meaningful time in this gospel. Um, it's actually my first time ever expositionally preaching through a gospel. I've, I've never preached through entire gospel, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this um, with, with you all as we, we go through it. So, so each week, take time, read the passage. Look at Luke. Let, devote yourself to this gospel for the next... I'm not going to put a time frame because you might throw something at me. For the next undetermined amount of time. And spend time in Luke each and every week. Read at least the passage that we are going to be we are going to be covering each Sunday. Meditate on it. Pray. Pray over it. Pray for, pray for me as I'm, as I'm uh, uh, unpacking the text or whoever else who may be preaching that Sunday. On our, on our website, we'll have a schedule listed out for a couple months ahead, and it'll tell you exactly where we're going so you can know exactly what we are, we are doing. And I'll also post it on, the, on, the, uh, on the, our, uh, our social media sites. So out of the four Gospels, excuse me, if, if pressed, um, I, I think I would have to say, like I said, if pressed really hard, you know, kind of like waterboarded, um, I, I think I would have to say that the Gospel of Luke is probably one of my favorite. It is my favorite of all the four, right? So, like I said, if, if pressed, I love all the Gospels, it, but the Gospel of Luke has always stood out to me. It's the one that I've, I've always gravitated toward. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed it so much. I mean, John is is incredibly rich, and I look forward to if the Lord, if the Lord tarries, to give us the opportunity to unpack the Gospel of John. And it's so rich in theology, and it shows us Christ in such a glorious light as the propitiation of our of our sins. Um, and, and and Matthew highlights the kingdom of God and the kingly authority of of, of Christ and the gospel for all people. And and then we have. Mark, who specifically goes after uh, Gentiles. He speaks directly to, to people who have traditions and customs unlike the Jewish culture. And he speaks and writes in a way so that we can understand. But Luke's gospel is different. Luke's gospel is, is different. It's not, it's not better, but it's, it's, it's different in that it gives us a, a, a very detailed story, a very detailed story of the gospel. A very detailed story of, of Jesus Christ. Same story. It's nothing's changed. Nothing is, you know, not, nothing is, he doesn't embellish in certain areas. It's the same story. It's the same theology, but it's different. It's unique in its perspective. And how gracious and good is God to give us four different perspectives of the same glorious gospel. And they all have the same point in mind, that Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the narrow road. That Jesus is the life. And he is the light of the life of men. And so this is why I gravitated toward Luke. Because it has such a unique description and details and even time frames. You can almost uh, chronologically put things in order as we read the Gospel of Luke because it's so detailed and he gives us these very accurate historical pointers of, 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 its, uh, of its detail. It shows us everything. And so I gravitate toward it. I love the history. I told you in, in Hosea that I love history. So I was just drawn to it. So I want to cover a couple introductory items of, of, of Luke for our type Ayers out there who want to know the authorship and the dates and things like that. So we'll quickly cover that. So it's 
widely assumed, because it's named after him, that this gospel was written by Luke. And it absolutely was. Like, that wasn't like a, let me chisel at that or something and bring down. It was written by the gospel of Luke. But when you read the gospel of Luke, you'll notice that it was not, he didn't address it. He didn't sign his name, written by yours truly, L. Dr. Luke. Right? He didn't, he didn't sign his name. There's, there's, no, there, there's no name to it whatsoever that says that it was written by Luke. So how do we know this? How do we make the assumption? Or how has that assumption been made in, in years past to say that this was written by Luke? Well, what you may not know is Luke is actually part one of, of, of two. Right? It was written in series and is meant to be read with the Acts of the Apostles, right? So the book of Acts, right? So skip over John. Don't skip over John, but skip over John. And there's Acts. And Acts is meant to be read like right after, uh, uh, after Luke, right? It's meant to be, they're, they're own pretty much probably written right at the exact same time. We'll talk about that in, in, in just, a, just a second. And so it was written together with, Acts. They're meant to be read together in Acts. In fact, they have pretty much the same prologue, right? The beginning part. And, and the prologue is both dedicated to the same guy, a guy named Theophilus, and we'll talk about him in, in just a minute. They have the same style of language and perspective. But still, how do we know it's Luke? Well, when you read through Acts and you get to chapter 16, the pronouns change. It changed from a first and second person to a third person pronoun, to we. So all of a sudden, the writer of Acts is now a companion with Paul. So we, and until the very end of Acts, there's, there's this, there's we, 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 we. He's never named, Luke is never named. He doesn't put his name in there and kind of writes in that third person weirdness of, you know, yeah, sometimes we do. But it's we a companion of, of Paul. So we are very quiet. So whoever wrote Acts, wrote Luke. Wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so it was Luke. And this is the, the evidence. And there's other, other evidence, but this is the main evidence that we know that it's Luke who wrote this Gospel. So we can be certain in its authorship. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 18, Paul makes a, a reference to an anonymous brother. And he says this, he says, this brother, he is, he is the one who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And that might just be Luke. Famous for preaching the gospel to all the churches. So the point of knowing authorship is not just to, to give us more information and let us be more academic. No, it's, 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 it's that, but it's not just that. But it's for us to let us see, once again, how the Lord has inspired someone, the, the Luke, to write this gospel and to write Acts so that we are not to be confused about it and so that we can have doubt in its authenticity that is the Lord who has given us His Word. And so Luke doesn't sign his name and he doesn't tell us why, but this is what I think. I don't think he, he signs his name because he wants us to point to Jesus. Here's Luke, a doctor, famous among all the churches to preach the gospel faithfully. 
And he says, I am more content to play the background to Christ in such a way that I'm not even going to be, I'm not even going to put my name down. What a great humility and service to the church that we can look to him and look to Christ instead of just Luke. Now, the date of this, of this gospel, once again, it's closely linked with, with Acts. Of course, Acts was not written until it was closed, right, until all the Acts of the Apostles was over with in, in, in Acts. So Luke was probably written somewhere around the early 60s, A.D. 60, which is 30 years, roughly 30 years after the crucifixion of Christ. So, so kind of give a, a good timeline there, understand of where we are. It's, it's one of the last, uh, last gospels to be, uh, to be written. Um, let's see, in, the, in, the, in Acts, uh, there was a time where Paul, and this was when he was a companion of Paul, Paul was in prison in Jerusalem waiting to be heard. And he was in prison for two years. Can you imagine being in prison for two years with no charges against you? None. They were just taking their sweet time to be heard. And they were just, every now and then they would pull him out of prison just to, speak, just to have him talk to them. And there's Luke sitting there with him, and this is probably the time when Luke was in Jerusalem where he interviewed and he gathered all of his research that he needed and eyewitness accounts of this narrative of the gospel. I mean, isn't it amazing that we can almost pinpoint directly when Luke probably read this and the people that he encountered? The eyewitness encounter, he probably spoke with Peter. Spoke about, got his resources from, from Mark, because by that time the Gospel of Mark had already been written. Talked to, talk to Mary, Mary Magdalene and Martha. James, the brother of Jesus. What an, what an amazing time, and he compiled all the history and the eyewitness accounts of the Gospel so that we can know in detail Jesus Christ and his life. So let's look to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the whole of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Amen. I want you to know, in those four verses that we have just read there, that we have just read some of the finest some of the greatest, some of the most detailed Greek language that has ever been written. Right there. And this isn't just a bunch of Bible scholars giving their, their biased opinion. No, this is a well-known opinion by all scholars who know uh, this Greek language, who have read this. They may be in opposition of the Bible, but when they read this text, they say this is the finest Greek that has ever been written. Isn't that amazing? And we just read it. What does Homer have on this? Not Homer Simpson, for you millennials. Homer who wrote the Odyssey. Ah, praise God. 
some of the best passages ever. So in this prologue, we have so much detail of, of, the, of Luke and how he introduces this, this gospel. We have the reason of why he wrote right there in verse 4. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Right? He's, not, he's not contradicting other, other works or saying that those other works are incomplete or inaccurate. So, so read my gospel because I'm setting the record straight. Right? He's not, he's not writing separate from other works. He's writing along with these other Gospels, but he is bringing to us a different perspective with greater detail. He's given us great details so that we can be certain, so that you can be confident in what you have been taught about Jesus Christ. How do I know? Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, so that we may know. So this is the purpose of the Gospel of Luke, is so that we can have certainty, not just for Theophilus, but for us as well. You know, certainty means a, it means a sure knowledge or conviction of what is believed is true and trustworthy. That's what it means to be, to be certain about things. There's a lot of things we're certain about in this world, and there's a lot of things we're not certain about in this world, right? What's the, the old adage is you can be certain about two things in this world, death and taxes. If you paid your taxes last week, then you know. Or if you paid it earlier, then taxes is a certainty. And death will be too. But isn't there more? Isn't there other things that, we can, that, are, that are even more trustworthy and certain than, than death and, and, and taxes? If that is it, well, how depressing is that? How depressing is that? <laughs> but can Christianity, can, be, can truth claims as Christianity and what we believe about the exclusivity of the gospel, a belief in, a belief in God, can, can that really be something that can be certain about? That, or is it just something I'm, 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 I'm hoping happens, like a, a wishful thinking? Or is this something that it, I'm truly certain that if everything else in my life it is, is realities that can go away, realities that can, can come and go, but what is for sure, what is for certain is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul, that's what Luke is writing. I'm going to get Luke. I'm not going to say Paul, but Luke we can be certain of, because that's what he's telling. This is why I'm writing, so you can be certain. So that when the, the call of discipleship is to, to come and die to yourself, you can be certain that that's true. And then what you're dying to is trustworthy and worth giving your life for. You know, in our life and in this life, we, we live in an age of skepticism a questioning of all authority, of all institutions. And the consequence of that has been an erosion, an erosion of, of any kind of certainty, isn't there? I mean, we, we, we're, we're so suspect of almost everything, aren't we? we? We can't have certainty in anything. Question all authority. No truth claim is good unless it's my own truth. Or if it's how I feel, and how I feel then is my truth. 
and as alluring and as, as good as that makes us feel. Because it makes me the authority. It makes, makes you the authority. And, hey, we're good. We're, we're happy and everything is, is good. But look at the chaos that's being, being produced in this postmodern culture. It has not brought any freedom. It has brought more bondage. It has brought us more bondage as we have entrenched in our hearts and our minds deeper into this depravity and evil and the evilness of the heart of man because we continue to claim to be our own God, the captain of our own souls. And look with the misery that it gives us. Look at the medication that we are having to take because of this. And yet in darkness... And yet in the darkness, when our souls are quieted and our minds are still, and we've turned off all the media and all the self-indulgences of this world, that's when we begin to see that being my own captain is pretty doggone scary. Because I have no clue where I'm going. It's a house of cards that will be cut down. But Luke writes for our certainty so that we can be certain. Not swayed anymore by our own feelings or, the, or swayed by the, the philosophies of this world, but he gives us a firm foundation of truth. And in that firm foundation of truth, I'm going to identify this morning four areas. Four areas of where we can be certain in the gospel. The first of those is a certainty of history. We talked a little bit about, which is what Luke writes to, this detail of history, and this is what he's, excuse me, telling us in his, in his prologue, is that we can be certainty, we can have a certainty of the, of the history of the narrative of Jesus Christ and this gospel, including the planting of the church in Acts. So he wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he wrote this prologue and he wrote this, this gospel, remember, in that so eloquent way, eloquent way and, and in that eloquence and in that beauty and artistic form of the style of the language, the, the genius-like of the language, it is shouting to us. It is shouted, shouting to us that this is authoritative, that this is accurate that you can be certain in its history. And so Luke starts off citing in verse 1 the different areas, the different places that have already been working to compile. He says in verse 1, many have undertaken the compiled narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. So these, these earlier accounts were orderly, and they were undoubtedly, they were used by Luke as a resource. I already said, if you read a lot of Mark uh, in, in conjunction with, with Luke, sometimes you might even get confused of what you're reading. They're, they're almost verbatim at times. You can tell that, they, that, that, that Luke used a lot of, of, of Mark as a great resource. And he's, he's, he's kind of boasting in that. Good job, Mark. He says they undoubtedly he, he used them. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers who of the word have delivered them to us. And you see how, how this stuff was transmissioned. That's kind of the, the technical word of how we receive the word of God. 
The, the transmission of the, the word, how it was all brought together and was received and, and bring together by those who were eyewitnesses and those who were ministers of the, of the word. So that means this, that Luke, even though we know that, that Luke was not there, and he wasn't, Luke was not on the ground at that time. He was not a direct eyewitness to the things that he, that he wrote until sometime in, in, in Acts. But we can have confidence that Luke did not just pull random people off the street and say, hey, you ever heard about this guy named Jesus? Tell me the story. Were you there? No, he interviewed people who were actually there, who knew Jesus, and there was evidence that these people knew Jesus. There was a pedigree of the people who knew Jesus, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. He interviewed the apostles, those who were not dead already. He interviewed, and he was with, he was with the family of Jesus. He had the history correct. Isn't that what we want when we read a book of history? We want to have confidence that he is, that whoever the writer is has gone to its authority, has gone to a reliable resources, and if they can, has talked to eyewitnesses. How much more reliable can we get than that? Amazing. And he wants us to understand. I mean, he, he wants us to understand that the history of Jesus, this story of, of the incarnation of the Son of God into this world, is the most authentically written source out there. That it is grounded in solid historiography and has many reliable sources. Not only is the history extensive, but, but Luke as a historian was thoroughly researched. Look at verse 3. It says, It seems good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past. He is saying that he spent time to diligently track down all the details, tracing everything back thoroughly. I mean, if you've read Luke and if you've read Acts, the detail is stunning. The, the detail is, is stunning. Verse 3 continues to say, having followed all these things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Well, what does he mean by orderly account? He doesn't write chronologically. I mean, he generally gets things chronological. I mean, the, the beginning of the book is Jesus' birth, and the end of the book is Jesus' resurrection. So, you know, generally speaking, he's got things chronologically correct. But he doesn't write that way for that purpose. He writes systematically. He organizes these things artistically and creatively in such a way that we can marvel at the work of Jesus Christ. So that when it is read and studied, and I hope that you do as we continue to study, that you would just delight in the beautiful work of Christ. Well, some would say at this point, well, if Luke wasn't there, how is he qualified to be a reliable source? Well, how many history books have you ever read where the artist, or an artist, the author was actually there? Not many, right? Not many. Unless you're reading things maybe by Thomas Jefferson or John Adams going straight to the source, where you know that it's reliable, where we know that it's reliable. So what we ask of historical resource or historical accounts is that they're credible and their resources, and their eyewitnesses. And this is what Luke does. 
Luke brings all these things together so that we can be certain in its, of its truths. And he brings it all together. He brings it all together so that we, as he did, he believed in the power of the gospel. That's why he did this. That's why he wrote, because he had such a firm confidence in the, in, in the gospel. He was certain. And he wants us to be certain. Because it is the gospel that changes lives. It's the gospel that gives faith. It's the, it's the gospel that, that takes us from death to life. It's the, it's the gospel that shows us the, the goodness and joy that can be found in Christ. And it's a joy that's inexhaustible. You know, just as, because, just as Luke's gospel is a, just a fantastic history, it doesn't mean that we should just read it and study it like a newspaper. It's meant to point us to Christ to find delight and joy in Him. Yes, it's extremely historically accurate, but let that build confidence and certainty and give you greater joy in Christ. It's historically accurate so that we would be certain of the gospel. The second thing is that we would be certain of theology. So the first one's certain of history, second one's certain, certain, certainty of theology. Right? So, so as, a, as a Christian in Christianity, it's not just about creating students of, of history, but rather students who, who have confidence in right belief, right? In a right knowing of, of, of who God is, right knowing in the study of, of God. So correct history plus right theology brings great certainty to the doubting soul. Correct history plus right theology brings Great certainty for the doubting soul. That's a good quote. You ought to tweet that. I would have if I had my phone. That would be rude of me. So let me give you four ways we can be certain of this theology. And it's the way that he points out some very important things in, in this gospel. Number one is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit plays a huge role in Acts, doesn't he? I mean, it's just, boom, he is on the move in, in Acts. But also in Luke, he shows us how the Holy Spirit was moving beforehand. And he was moving beforehand so that when we got to Acts and started reading Acts, and even the apostles, as they started experiencing the Acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's so that they would be ready for the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Luke points us to. Luke points us to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in the, the miraculous birth of John and Jesus. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. How the Spirit incited the praises of God's people at the arrival of those births. Isn't that amazing? Spirit of God. How the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism and empowered him throughout his ministry, including when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. Your brother went through that a couple weeks ago. So that he would... Man, I just messed up my notes somehow. There it is. Beep, beep. There it is. There's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Whew. That's crazy. You hit a button and it just goes away. Yes, so the Holy Spirit's active in all these things. Wednesday night, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit. And, and we saw how this past week, how the, the Holy Spirit was the companion of Jesus throughout his whole entire life. Even before birth, here was the Holy Spirit. His best friend, as, as uh 
as Sinclair Ferguson told us, possibly as quite his, his best friend in, in, in throughout, his, uh, throughout his life. In fact, in, in Luke 10, 21, Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. And then he later promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a prominent theme throughout Luke. The second is there's an importance of prayer. The importance of prayer throughout, throughout the Gospel of, of Luke. The, the importance of prayer. And, and Luke is always quick to highlight how Jesus prays. He's quick to highlight every single time Jesus prays. Especially during the very important moments where he, he really captures there the, the, that, that Jesus prayed. He doesn't overstep the fact or, or look past the fact that Jesus prayed. In fact, one of the, the best moments came in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus is out praying and His disciples are with Him and He's praying on His own and then He looks up at His disciples and He asks the question to them, Who do the crowds say that I am? You guys remember how they answered this, that, you're this guy, maybe Elijah, maybe John the Baptist come back. And then Jesus says, you know, the next question, who do you say that I am? All right, we, we know the teaching, but the pivotal moment in the disciples' life right here, particularly in Peter, because upon this rock, he was going to build his church. And Jesus was praying. And why do we, what do you think Jesus was praying there? He was praying, oh, Father, let them have eyes to see. Let them see who I am, that they may rightly confess me. Prayer, the importance of prayer. The parables that we see of prayer throughout. The parable of the friend who arrives in the middle of the night who needs some bread. It's about prayer. The parable of the persistent woman and the judge. The parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector at prayer in the temple. And it's all about prayer. And the, the attitude of prayer, a theology of prayer. So that we can have certainty when we pray. We see prayer throughout this Gospel. We also see how God is the one who has taken the initiative of the salvation of His people. We see how God has taken the initiative in the salvation of His people. Did you know that in the Gospel of Luke, the word salvation is used more than any other of the Gospels? In fact, he uses it five times. Matthew and Mark don't use the word at all. John uses it once. But Luke uses it five times. As well as he uses the, word, the, the, the verb form to save more than any other gospel. The angels announce it. The people sing about it. The Samaritans find the grace of it and then they give it. The blind receive it. The condemned are given it. Luke highlights salvation because he wants to show us that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are all part of God's definite plan of salvation. And God is the one who initiated it. A plan that was once concealed in the Old Testament as we studied throughout Hosea is now being revealed in Christ. Jesus states his mission in Luke 19.10. I have come to seek and to save the lost. His mission stated. I like what I read in one of the commentaries. He said this, he says, This gospel is not like anything like a self-help manual. He says it's the story of a divine rescue mission. It is God initiating the story 
once again, continuing that story of initiating the work of bringing salvation for mankind. In the last one, he gives us a, a certainty of, in, of our theology of the cross and the resurrection, a detailed story of, of the resurrection and the cross. He highlights it in, in a way that we can see very detailed every hour. Very detailed, the story of the two guys that, were, that are with Jesus on the cross as they hang on the cross themselves and what they say and the repentance of the other. He is concerned that we would see that this rescue mission comes only by the cross. That our salvation does not come through the moral teaching of Jesus and even just a humble lifestyle that we could just look to him as a good teacher. No, he clearly shows us that salvation comes through the cross and that we have great hope in the resurrection, just as we talked about last week, that we can celebrate the first fruits of the resurrection as we talked about last week. So he gives us the thorough account that we can have a certainty of, the, of a right theology and who, and who Christ is and who the Holy Spirit is and what prayer is. The third one is that we can have certainty of love. We can have a certainty of, 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 of love. So we don't know much about the person of Luke. I've already mentioned that he's, a, that he's a doctor. In fact, the only way that we know that he's a doctor is because Paul in Colossians 4, 4.14, he, he actually says that, that, that Luke is a beloved physician. <clears throat> a beloved physician. He was a medical doctor. But Paul doesn't say he was a beloved physician because he was a great healer. Because he was good at being a, a doctor. No, he was a beloved physician because he loved others. He was a lover of people. He was one who submitted his, his own life and his own ego and his own prestige at being a, a doctor. And as smart as he was, he submitted all that to serve others and to bring about the desires of others. Luke was not just a doctor to the body. Luke was a doctor to the souls of people. That's a good doctor. Right? That's the kind of doctor you want to you have, right? That not just, not just cares for you physically, but cares for your soul. And this gospel highlights that. It highlights the account that we can have certainty and love because of the way that he speaks of people. Specifically people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and Martha and Zacchaeus and Cleopas and so many others. And why was Luke such a lover of people? Because it made him popular? Well, if that was the case, he would have wrote his name down. He was a lover of people because Christ was such a lover of him. And he has such a certainty of the gospel and the good news of his reconciliation before the Lord through Christ. He loved people. And it shows throughout his gospel. And so he highlights this throughout his word. He highlights how, how Jesus was a lover of, of outsiders, those who were devalued in culture. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't lift up the wealthy and the, those who are in the place of, of, of honor. There's no special value given to those. But instead what he does... He, he holds people in Jesus' life there of those who were neglected, those who were despised, those who were dehumanized and abused, 
Those who were considered throwaways in, in that culture, Jesus highlighted and Luke highlighted as being important so that we can be certain that no matter who we are, you are loved in Christ. And the four classes of people, number one is women. Women play such an important role in, in the ministry of Jesus. Shame on us as a church, and I'm speaking generally, universally, not us in particular, how women have been placed to the background. Now, men have taken biblical text and used that to be abusive. Have used that to put women in such a role where they feel almost de, uh, demeaned and, and dehumanized. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. There's Mary, and there's Mary Magdalene and Martha, and all those women who were un, unnamed. Women that were, were faithless and fearless friends of Jesus. Sisters, be encouraged that this gospel is for you. They were fearless and faithful friends of Jesus when dudes like me were walking away. They were still there, going to the tomb, staying by the cross. They were special objects of Jesus' mercy. And the second one is children, another vulnerable group of children who were considered throwaways. Even disciples wanted to, to turn children away that were coming to Jesus, but Jesus in his mercy allowed them to come to him, and he healed children he healed them that were unto death. No one could cure them, but Jesus healed them. He raised them from the dead. Those who were oppressed by demons, those who were left for dead, Jesus loved and he healed. Isn't that funny? Two, two very vulnerable people in our society that sin has abused and still destroying. Jesus loved very particularly and accepted, and welcomed. And here's good news for all of us. Sinners. Jesus was so welcoming to sinners. If, if anyone could have turned anyone away, that, Jesus could have turned away sinners, and he would have been righteous in doing so. But he was so welcoming. He was so kind to them. Think of Zacchaeus. Think of the, the woman who came to Jesus' feet weeping and washing his feet with her hair and with, with the, the, the anointment. He was so welcoming. He didn't kick them away. In fact, what he did was he praised them. He praised Zacchaeus, a, a tax collector, a swindler, a thief. He, he praised them. He says, what great faith in his repentance. He looked at this woman who everyone kicked to the side, that way wouldn't let in, who came in and barged in and washed his feet. Those who they could not believe that such a sinner she, we would welcome. And yet he grants forgiveness to her and praises her. It's shocking. It is so shocking to us. And then in all of his parables, the Pharisee and the publican, who received mercy? The publican. 
the prodigal son, the one who went away, squandered everything, came back and repented, who received grace and mercy? The prodigal son. The older brother got left out. Brothers, sisters, if you are a sinner, then this gospel is for you to be certain in the love of Christ. For foreigners, those who are different. I mean, we, we see this throughout, right? Throughout this gospel. Even Simeon himself in the very beginning in chapter 2 says that, that this baby will be the light of the revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus heals us, a Roman centurion servant. The, the servant of the Roman centurion. In fact, he even marvels at the faith of this centurion, a Gentile. Now, once again, this gospel is for us, and we can be certain of it. We can be certainty of the love of God in the gospel of Luke. And the last one is we can have a certainty of joy. We can, be, we can have a certainty of, of, of joy. The, the verb rejoice is found more in Luke Luke's gospel than any other book of the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? Rejoice is more in the gospel of Luke than any other book of the New Testament. Now I'm thinking like, like Philippians. right? I'm thinking like Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. That's one verse and it's already got two times. But nope. Luke says rejoicing so much more. Because this gospel, the gospel of Christ is for our joy. It surrounds his, his birth. It surrounds his, his life. It surrounds his resurrection, his death and his resurrection. It surrounds repentance and the salvation of those in throughout the Gospel of Luke, that those who are saved, they, they respond in rejoicing. In the parables, there's, there's rejoicing. Remember, there's, there's rejoicing in, in heaven when one lost sinner is, is found. So if we are lacking joy this morning, if you are lacking that zeal and that, that joy for Christ and for the gospel, and you're just kind of having a hard time digging in, and here it is. Find certainty this morning in the gospel of Luke that it was written for your joy. So that you can see and you can savor Jesus Christ. And you can taste Him week after week and just be satisfied. Overall, the Gospel of Luke is for our certainty, that we would have certainty in the Word of God, and that we would have certainty in the Gospel, that you can have certainty in your salvation in your sanctification, and so that you would delight in the glory of God as he has been revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke is for you, for you to feast upon and to search upon its depths. So let's not be confused. Christian certainty does not arise from the, the capability of the believer to believe, but our certainty is based upon, this is so important if you catch anything, that our certainty is not based upon how you can believe, but our certainty is based upon the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of our God. That's where our certainty lies. So when you're waxing and waning, like the moon does every month, uh, that was a good joke, 
every day, caught up by the winds of your emotions, caught up by the frustrations and patience and sin that we give into. Brothers and sisters, you can be certain. You can be certainty, certain of the faithfulness and the trust, trustworthiness of God. I'm going to close. I'm going to close by covering one last detail that I, I kind of skimmed over. And that's dealing with this guy, Theophilus. Who was Theophilus? Who is this guy that Luke is writing to? The short answer to that question is, I don't know. We have some ideas. We have some ideas of of who Theophilus is. The most most common opinion is that Theophilus was a rich guy who financially supported Luke, probably in that two-year span when he was in Jerusalem, he supported Luke, or Luke financially, maybe even Paul during that time, so that Luke could write the gospel of Luke, and, and then eventually uh, Acts. So this is, that's the most common opinion, that Theophilus was a, a rich guy. That's why he, he dedicates it to him, to most excellent Theophilus. But there's something also very intriguing about Theophilus, is that it says that, so that you may be certain of what you have been taught. Right? What you've been taught, the gospel. So was, was Theophilus a committed believer who then wanted others to be confident in certainty of the gospel? I think that's a good, good category. Or was, was Theophilus maybe even an unbeliever? That, that Luke had, had got to know over his travels and all over the world with, at that time, the world with, with Luke, and, and, and he was mind a seeker. And Theophilus like, if you can prove it, I'll pay for it. And Luke's like, bring it. Right? That may be the case. And so he's writing so, so that he may be certain in what he has been taught about the gospel. Or, or maybe he was like so many, I think, believers. They're a believer in Christ, but they are just doubting. Maybe, maybe just a little skeptic of what they heard. They, they like to add, yeah, but, to the good news. And they may not say it out loud, but in his, in his heart, they say it. I, I, I say all this for, for the reason the way I wanted us to close is I think we are one of those three Theophiluses today. You are one of those three. You are one of those three. You're either a faithful believer, then be certain even more in the truth of Christ. Be, 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 the lie, be, be taken away and blown away by the scenic route of seeing Christ. Majestic Christ. Maybe you're an unbeliever. And if you're an unbeliever in Christ, then this gospel is written for you so you can be certain. So you can be certain that this is real, that it's historically accurate, and it's theologically correct, and it is for your love, and it's for your joy. It's for your mind, and it's for your heart. Or maybe you're just a skeptic, and you doubt a little bit, And it is for your certainty. That it is for your certainty that the word of God, Jesus Christ, has come into this world to bring about reconciliation between God and man and so that we may delight in him and that God may have all the glory. Amen. Let me pray. Father, be with us as we respond to your word this morning.
And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.